Fascinating people, fascinating places. G'day and welcome to the Dan Mainwaring Podcast. This is where we talk to and about the famous and the infamous, the celebrated and the obscure, the well-known and the undiscovered. Interviews, articles and discussions from around the globe. On the 1st of December, 1135, King Henry I of England died. His choice of successor was controversial, but unequivocal. His daughter Matilda, previously crowned as Empress of the Holy Roman Empire, would be crowned as the first Queen of England. In theory, she was the most powerful woman in Europe, but neither Henry's plans nor hers came to fruition. In order to claim her throne, she'd have to overcome treachery, betrayal, and civil war. In this episode, I examine the life of the powerful woman known to history as Empress Matilda, her rise to prominence, her political alliances which included two marriages, the setbacks she faced, her quest for revenge, and her enduring legacy. Matilda's father, Henry, was the son of England's first Norman king, William the Conqueror. William had gone to war to secure the title of king that Edward the Confessor had bestowed upon him. But struggling to cling to power as the Duke of Normandy, William couldn't amass the forces to invade England by himself. He had to rope in the support of his mates among the French nobility. He rewarded these men for their support by carving England up into a patchwork of territories that these men, the barons, would rule. The king was the ultimate power. The barons, though, had knights and armies of their own. This didn't go down very well with the locals. After all, the Anglo-Saxon majority had crowned one of their own, Harold Godwinson, as king upon Edward the Confessor's death. As William swept into Britain, Harold was killed, and his Anglo-Saxon supporters were brutally repressed by the Normans. Half a century later, Henry I had restored some of the Anglo-Saxon rules and regulations, but the Norman barons were as powerful as ever. Henry's chosen successor was his son, William, but he was killed, along with scores of his friends, when their boat piloted by the proverbial drunken sailors sunk in the English Channel. Henry had plenty of other sons to succeed him, nine in fact, but the problem was they were all illegitimate. The only living child produced from his marriage was his daughter, Matilda. The original inhabitants of the British Isles had no problem with a female ruler. Indeed, Queen Boudicca was a legendary warrior queen who had fought the Romans. But the Normans, like their Viking ancestors, had developed a patriarchal society. Kings were warriors, men who fought in battle. Administrative skills were secondary to swordsmanship, 
in the list of credentials for a monarch. But Henry was adamant that his daughter would be his successor, and it was a role she had been prepared for since a very young age. In 1108, when Matilda was just six years old, envoys arrived in England, proposing her marriage to Henry V, King of Germany. From her father's point of view, this was a chance to forge a powerful alliance with one of the biggest powers in Europe. He quickly agreed terms, and even offered to provide a dowry of 10,000 marks to the German king. Two years later, at the tender age of eight, Matilda was sent to Utrecht, where she and Henry V were officially betrothed. Her fiancé was 20 years her senior, and clearly Matilda, even by medieval standards, was not of age. Consequently, she was packed off to Trier for four years, where clerics taught her the essentials of German culture and prepared her for life as a queen. In 1114, Matilda, still just 12 years old, was married to Henry V in the city of Worms. Despite the age difference and the fact she was still a child, Matilda seemed to embrace her new role and became quite prominent in the royal court. Her husband by this time had already been crowned emperor of the Holy Roman Empire and it was his desire his new wife should be crowned as empress. But there was a problem. Henry had been battling with the Pope for over a decade over the investiture of bishops. Both men claimed it was their right to appoint the clergy. This dispute had gone back and forth for years, but it boiled over once again when Henry deposed his chancellor, the Archbishop of Mainz. The Pope condemned the move as, among other things, Henry had no right to appoint or remove a bishop. It was another standoff between the secular and the spiritual. But this power struggle had been going on since the time of Constantine, and in 1117 it was settled, as was usually the case, by force. Henry and Matilda led an army into northern Italy and regained control of the territory. Their next step was Rome, where Pascal II would be expected to crown Matilda. But the Pope fled and went into hiding, so another cleric, Mauritius Bedinus, stepped in and held a ceremony where Henry and Matilda were presented with their crowns. Pope Pascal II responded by excommunicating both Henry and Bedinus. Henry wasn't the first Holy Roman Emperor to be excommunicated, but it's evidence of the dysfunction in the church that its ordained emperor is banned from attending mass. As far as the Pope was concerned, Matilda was not the empress, as he was the only man who had the authority to crown her. But her husband had been crowned years earlier, so papal blessing or not, she was technically the empress from the day she married Henry. All the contemporary sources suggest that everyone outside Rome accepted the validity of her title, albeit grudgingly in certain cases. Matilda cut her teeth as a ruler in her own right over the next few years, as Henry returned to Germany while she ruled as his regent in Italy. A few years later, she returned to Germany, where her ailing husband was seriously ill. In his dying days, he attempted to mend bridges with the Pope, but in May 1123, he died. 
The nine-year marriage had failed to produce any offspring, and barely in her twenties, Matilda was effectively pensioned off as a new, unrelated ruler was chosen for the empire. She returned to Normandy, where her father, still reeling from the death of his beloved son, William, years earlier, had married a new wife who'd failed to provide him with a male heir. As he became increasingly concerned with his own mortality, the old king announced Matilda as that heir. The barons were not happy with the proposal, but Henry was a battle-hardened warrior who suppressed a variety of rebellions and dispatched his enemies. They didn't want Matilda as the monarch, but no one would dare to say that to her father's face. Instead, they meekly took an oath of allegiance and promised to uphold his wishes. While the king tried to cement his legacy, he was also tackling more immediate problems and threats to his realm in Normandy. He knew he could strengthen his position if he forged an alliance with Folk, the Count of Anjou. Matilda's status as a widow gave him the opportunity he needed, and he agreed for her to marry Folk's son, Geoffrey. Now, Matilda had been crowned Empress of Europe, while Geoffrey was an obscure noble from a small territory in northern France. Worse than that, he was a child, barely 13 at the time, while Matilda was in her mid-twenties. The proposal was preposterous, and initially she refused to comply, even locking herself in her bedroom. But as a dowager empress, she had few other options. She could retire to a convent, an idea she'd never embrace, having sampled real political power. She could marry someone else, but suitable suitors were in short supply, and certainly there was no eligible bachelor of her status. In the end, she bowed to pressure and married Geoffrey in 1128, by which time he had just turned 15. The newlyweds immediately got into a conflict, and Matilda walked out on her husband and fled to England. The separation lasted two years, during which time Henry had the nobles renew their pledge to support Matilda as his heir. But such commitments came with strings attached, and in 1131, Henry forced Matilda to return to her husband. During her absence, her husband had fathered a child named Hamlet, but in 1133, the couple had their first legitimate child, a boy named Henry. Her father was delighted at securing the next generation of his legacy with a grandson, but he soon fell into conflict with his daughter. In France, it was quite common for rulers to crown their successors while still alive to avoid any civil unrest upon the death of the monarch. Matilda proposed assuming control of her father's territory in Normandy to help cement her position as heir to the English throne. This didn't sit well with the old king. He'd maintained power for so long by ruthlessly crushing his rivals, even his older brother. The barons feared him, and he didn't want to show a chink in his armour by ceding power to anyone, not even his heir. When a rebellion broke out in Normandy, Matilda and Geoffrey decided to support the rebels. But before there was a chance for reconciliation, King Henry died. His untimely demise weakened Matilda's position. Her cousin Stephen claimed the king had changed his mind on the succession on his deathbed, 
and had selected him as the rightful heir to his throne. Coming up, Matilda watches from afar as her cousin is crowned as king. Fascinating People, Fascinating Places presents 5 Amazing Facts Brought to you by Daniel Mainwaring, author of When Babel Floods and The Treacherous Exhibit. Matilda was born on the 7th of February, meaning she shares her birthday with Charles Dickens and comedian Eddie Izzard. She was the grandmother of King John, the villain best known for the Robin Hood saga. Upon leaving Germany, Matilda sparked an international row when she took with her a sacred relic, the Hand of St. James. Having refused to return it to the Holy Roman Empire, she kept it at Reading Abbey, where it became an important pilgrimage site. Her epitaph reads, Great by birth, greater by marriage, greatest in her offspring, here lies Matilda, the daughter, wife, and mother of Henry. The last point was seen as the most important at the time. Matilda styled herself Domina Angelorum. The Latin title made clear she was the ruler, and she used it in preference to the Anglo-Saxon word queen, which simply meant wife of a king. There's no evidence to back up Stephen's claim to the throne, but it is plausible the old king reconsidered the situation when his daughter went to war with him. To make matters worse, Matilda was pregnant, so she wasn't in a position to lead a conquering army across the channel. Stephen was. He made the short trip from Boulogne and rallied support from the public in London before being crowned king. Stephen had certain advantages over Matilda, not the least of which being he was a man. As recently as the last decade, Australian Prime Minister Julia Gillard faced hostile opposition who campaigned using misogynistic slogans such as Ditch the Witch. This, in a democratic and western country that has had a female head of state for the last 70 years. So you can begin to imagine how much sway misogyny had a thousand years ago in a thoroughly patriarchal society. The barons who'd sworn allegiance to Matilda broke their word as soon as an eligible male arrived on the scene. To compound matters, Stephen was seen as a nice bloke, amiable, fun to hang out with, and malleable. In return for getting the crown of England, Stephen would allow the regional barons to do pretty much anything they liked. Matilda, on the other hand, was viewed as stuffy, kind of stuck up. In terms of power, she had stared down the Pope, so she wasn't someone the barons could push around. Within Norman England, 
Stephen was seen as the best man for the job. But things didn't go smoothly for Stephen. King David of Scotland, Matilda's uncle, launched an attack on the country. Meanwhile, uprisings occurred in the southwest of England and in Wales. In Normandy, Stephen's territory came under attack from Matilda and Geoffrey. By 1139, Matilda had forged an alliance with her older half-brother, the powerful Robert of Gloucester. An invasion was about to get underway. Now until this point, despite appeals from Matilda, the Pope had sided with Stephen. He was seen to be a pious man, and he'd promised not to interfere with the affairs of the church. But with attack imminent, this changed. He angered the church by taking away land from those he didn't trust, including bishops, and he gave this land to his loyalists. This angered, among others, his brother Henry, who was the Bishop of Gloucester. Shortly after, Matilda arrived in Britain, accompanied by scores of knights, but she made a strategic error by allowing her brother, Robert of Gloucester, to head north in search of allies. While he and his men were away, Stephen's forces besieged Matilda at Arundel Castle. She was trapped. It seemed as if Matilda's invasion was over before it even got started. But then something baffling happened. Stephen decided to let her go. Contemporary sources and historians have offered a variety of explanations for this seemingly foolish move. Some say Stephen was chivalrous and wanted Matilda to have a fair fight. But if he was so concerned with treating her equitably, why did he steal her throne in the first place? Others have suggested his disgruntled brother, Bishop Henry, persuaded Stephen to let her go. But there's a third possibility that seems logical in terms of the era. Stephen let her go because she was a woman. He didn't see her as a serious threat. His eyes were on Robert of Gloucester, the man commanding the bulk of her forces. He was a son of King Henry I, albeit an illegitimate one, but he had plenty of supporters in England who thought he was the rightful king. Whatever his reasons, the move backfired spectacularly as Matilda set up camp in Gloucester and her forces quickly took control of the southwest. Stephen focused on fortifying the rest of the country, but in doing so, the supposedly amiable monarch had a falling out with two of his closest allies, the Bishop of Ely and Ranulf of Chester. He upset the bishop by confiscating his lands. While Ranulf was incensed when Stephen gave away territory, Randolf believed was his. The two men and their forces went to war with him. The equally matched battle swung decisively in the rebels' favour when Robert of Gloucester and his men arrived on the scene. Chroniclers loud Stephen for his bravery, while some of his allies fled, he continued in hand-to-hand -hand combat, even with a broken sword. He eventually replaced that with an axe, but as his forces crumbled, his enemies closed in. Stephen was captured and confined in Bristol Castle. Matilda and her supporters had done the hard part. All that was needed now was for her to be crowned. In order to achieve that, she had to win over the clergy, and she quickly gained the support of Stephen's brother, Bishop Henry. The Archbishop of Canterbury was reluctant to endorse her, 
until given his seemingly hopeless predicament, Stephen released all his allies from their oaths of loyalty. Matilda made her way to London, and preparations were made for her coronation. After a dubious coronation by a wayward cleric in Rome, and having seen Stephen crowned in her place years before, she was about to receive a legitimate coronation. But there was to be another twist. Despite Stephen releasing his allies from fealty, fighting continued sporadically around the country, and the citizens of London, the boisterous general public, didn't want Matilda as their monarch. An angry mob gathered and drove her and her supporters from the city on the eve of the coronation. A short while later, Matilda had a falling out with Bishop Henry. He found her to be disagreeable and arrogant. She responded by attacking his home in Winchester. Now it's reasonable to think Matilda may have been a bit cantankerous. She'd walked out on her husband for two years, chased the Pope out of Rome, and even gone to war with her dad. But these were the kind of moves all monarchs made. Her father was regarded as fierce and powerful for standing his ground. When Matilda did the same, she was perceived as arrogant and lofty, and it had everything to do with her being a woman. The likes of Bishop Henry were amenable to supporting a female monarch as the face of the nation, but they assumed being of the so-called weaker sex that they could lean on her and pull the strings. When she proved to have a backbone, it was time for them to reform the old boys' club. Coming up, Matilda must face a female foe as she prepares to cement her legacy. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fascinating People, Fascinating Places. If you have an idea for a topic we can cover, send an email to author at danielmainwaring.com. While you're here, check out the catalogue for past episodes. Here is a sneak peek. All free men, wherever they may live, are citizens of Berlin. And therefore... As a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Berliner. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Aside from male adversaries, Matilda soon found herself surrounded in Winchester by forces led by another indomitable woman, Queen Matilda, Stephen's wife. During the battle, the Empress fled to safety, 
but her brother, Robert of Gloucester, was captured. Bishop Henry stuck his nose in again and tried to negotiate a truce, but neither of the Matildas would make any concession to the other. In the end, Stephen was swapped for Robert in an impromptu prisoner exchange. Battle resumed. The subsequent year saw some close calls for both Stephen and Matilda. He was almost captured at Wilton Castle, while Matilda once made her escape dressed all in white so she would be camouflaged by the snow. It was a brutal war of attrition, each side using scorched earth tactics that saw villages and farmlands destroyed. Lacking the strength to hold on to vast territories, the combatants simply destroyed crops and killed peasants so the local barons would lack the resources to continue the fight. The Anglo-Saxon chronicles refer to the era as one where Christ and the angels slept. The writer also states that it wasn't unusual to enter a town and find that not a single soul was still living. While this had been going on in England, Matilda's husband, Geoffrey of Anjou, had been battling Stephen's forces in France. As time went on, he was joined in this enterprise by his son Henry. In the 1140s, Henry was now a battled, hardened warrior. He made his way across the channel and made an abortive attempt to dislodge Stephen. Despite his best efforts to assist his mother, Matilda's campaign was effectively ended when another dispute occurred with the Pope. For several years, she'd been holed up in Devise's castle, but it didn't belong to her, and the owner wanted it back. Pope Eugene III threatened to excommunicate her unless she vacated the castle. So in 1148, she reluctantly made her return to Normandy. Back on the European mainland, Matilda focused on shoring up control of her territory there, while her husband, Geoffrey of Anjou, launched a charm offensive with the church in Rome, hoping to win support for the claim of his son Henry to the throne of England. Matilda officially gave up her own quest for the crown and passed the torch to Henry, and he was as eager as his mother to ensure the family got their hands on the lands promised to them by the grandfather. In 1153, Henry took a strong force across the channel and prepared for battle with Stephen. But after 20 years of anarchy and chaos, no one had the appetite for renewed conflict. At the behest of the church, Stephen and Henry reached a compromise. Under the agreement, Matilda's son would succeed the ailing king. And just one year later, Stephen died. Henry was King of England, but Matilda was pulling the strings. She was the de facto ruler of his Norman French possessions. She talked him out of invading Ireland. Her most notable intervention in English politics came when Henry had a falling out with his former drinking buddy, the now Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Becket. Henry wanted to pass the Constitutions of Clarendon, a set of rules that ended the church's control of any legal matter involving the clergy. Bear in mind, this numbered tens of thousands of priests and monks in the era. Becket wanted the status quo to remain, and Matilda was asked to mediate. 
Like a mother solving a squabble between a little boy and his friend, she basically admonished both men. Henry was wrong to try and change the legal structure. Beckett needed to be focused on sorting out his own affairs. As the church was a seething mass of corruption. Some drunken knights took matters into their own hands when Henry quipped, will no one rid me of this turbulent priest? They interpreted it as a call to action and slew Becket in Canterbury Cathedral. The killing shocked the nation and the public quickly turned on King Henry. Once again, his mother came to his aid, convincing him to perform a humbling act of penance on bended knee at Canterbury. This theatrical act won the admiration of the public and Henry's rule had a solid foundation again, for a time at least. Despite her earlier squabbles with various popes, Matilda became increasingly involved in the church during her later years. She supported the burgeoning Cistercian movement and became particularly attached to the Virgin Mary. It seemed as if the once feared Matilda had softened up in old age. That was certainly the public perception, though her private chronicler described the old lady as still being made of the stuff of tyrants. On the 10th of September, 1167, Matilda died. Her legacy was prone to revision. She was celebrated as heroic in the immediate aftermath of her death, but bear in mind the people paying homage were the subjects of her son. She fell out of favour with later historians before being rehabilitated and used as a role model in Elizabethan England. Like any monarch, she had her fans and her detractors, but regardless of crowning ceremonies, she did rule much of England for many years. She also was, through marriage, the legitimate empress of the Holy Roman Empire. And on both counts, she broke a glass ceiling and helped to pave the way for the likes of Elizabeth I and Catherine the Great. Thanks to her, monarchical patriarchy was at an end. Well, stone the flaming crows, it's time for Dan to do the Harry. Watch out for the next podcast and follow all Dan's activities at www.danielmainwaring.com.